I need to tell you what I'm about to do. It's a little different. Have any of you ever heard of the Reverend George Truitt? One person. So he was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas from 1897 to 1944. He was truly one of the great Southern Baptist pastors of history. Um, he started the Baptist Children's Home. He started the Baptist Hospital. Um, he started dozens of churches in the Dallas area. He went uh, over to World War I and uh, preached in the, uh, at the front lines in the camps with all the uh, uh, soldiers from America. He was, he was quite a guy. It is said of him, and I'm not sure this is true, but I've heard this for a long time. It's what I understand. He really only preached 70 sermons in his church during all those years. He would preach them, and then at the end, he'd start over again. <laughs> they got the same thing about every <laughs> 18 months or so, so as I understand it. Um, I believe, or he believed, as I understand, that these were the main tenets of the faith that needed to be learned and reiterated. I do not completely hold that belief myself, but <clears throat> I do preach many of the same doctrinal things over and over, one way or the other. Having said that, I'm going to preach to you a sermon I've already preached to you. <clears throat> so here's one caveat, though, to this whole thing. <laughs> Studies show that the vast majority of people only remember 10% of what they hear especially in a sermon. For instance, what did I preach about last week? Oh, good, okay. Do you remember the outline? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, one out of what, there's 40 or 50 of us here. <laughs> That's exceptional, actually. Um, about uh, what did I preached two weeks ago. the gate. Yep. Okay, good. Good for you guys. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to preach to you a message I preached to you seven weeks before Easter last year. Can you remember what that one was? <laughs> um, hopefully, some of it will come back to you as I go through this. I'm going to do this because it's the next I am statement, and we're going to go through all seven of the I am statements in John, and this is the next one. I've already done my homework on this passage, and I've had an extremely busy week. I'm making excuses now, so I've had an extremely busy week, and uh, I apologize. I just, I, I'm sort of exhausted. You ever have weeks like that where you just work your butt off and, excuse me, but you just get going, and so anyway, I started looking for that, and I went, wow, I preached this last year here. <laughs> so, anyway, my file on John is this thick. I preached the whole book at one time or another. So, I, I have a, a lot of stuff on John. I've done a ton of work on John over the years. So, now, Easter, I believe, is the major Christian holiday for remembering the key element of our faith, not Christmas. 
Why? Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Satan has done all he can through our cultural milieu of stuff to minimize Easter. Anyone ever seen a resurrected bunny? What about resurrection do the eggs portray? I just realized that even Google has taken Easter off their calendars. At least in my deal. Maybe I didn't press the right button. I am not technically oriented. But it does not show. President's Day does. And I believe if you go out into June, you'll find that the Pride Month will at some point. But Easter which is key to Christianity. If there is no resurrection, there really is no Christianity. You know, Jesus was born. He was, you know, born King of kings and Lord of lords. But if he didn't solidify that with the resurrection, we have nothing. He's just another good teacher who was born in a, in a manger. Good man, but not the God-man. I think Christ is by far and away the greatest gift given to mankind but without the resurrection to prove who he really was he would just be another great human being in history no other religion on earth has a resurrected savior you can go to the graves of all the other founders of any religion on earth but you go to an empty tomb when you go to find jesus the fifth i am statement is i am the resurrection and the life. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, do you remember my sermon from a year and a half ago? <laughs> I want to read to you. Um, we started late, so I hope you'll be uh, gracious with me this morning. I have a two-hour sermon, and um, <clears throat> we started, you know, I got up here. At, anyway, <laughs> I want to read the passage to you. I'm playing with you, but... Um, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters went to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Or they sent to him. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and Lazarus. So when he learned that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after, that, after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to, G to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not... 12 hours in the day if anyone walks in the day he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world but if one walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him these things he said and after that he said to them our friend Lazarus sleeps but I go that I may wake him up then his disciples said Lord if he sleeps he will get well however Jesus spoke of his death but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go up to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go, let us also go, that we may die with him, as with Jesus. It's real encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) Thomas was just an encouraging fellow. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe You are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let's pray for a second. God, we ask that you would just uh, take this message and weld it to our hearts, that we might believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, um, bolster our belief, encourage our belief. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't believe, may this morning... May their hearts be changed. So, Lord, have your way with us now. Speak to us by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at four things in this passage. First was uh, Lazarus was loved by Jesus. This is almost, almost goes without saying. Martha and Mary uh, were friends of Jesus. They'd spent a lot of time in the house there together. They'd worked some together. Um, Lazarus was their brother. This is the first mention of him. But Lazarus was known by Jesus, and he loved him. It says that several times in the passage. He loved him. And I would just like to take a moment and reiterate the fact that Jesus loves you. He loves you. You've been doing business with Jesus, most of you, for years. And he loves you. Don't ever question that. As I've read the uh, books by John Bork, I've mentioned those about heaven. Almost without exception, those who experienced heaven have been first confronted with a being who is magnificent light, but is also unbelievably love. Almost without exception, those folks who've had near-death experiences have said that this being, when they're confronted with him, after we pass through the veil as it was after we die is amazing he wants a relationship with you and me he wants to interact with you and me love is what he is all about love is one of the key words in the book of John it actually appears 39 times through the book of John John emphasizes that throughout his gospel the love of God through Jesus In fact, his first epistle states that God is love. In John chapter 4, verse 7, um, 
Do we get that one up there? Maybe that's the one I missed. But let me just read this to you real quick. 1 John chapter 4. There it is. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. There it is. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his Son, his only begotten Son, into the world, that we might live through him. <clears throat> and this is love, not that we love God. Catch this now. I hope you know this. But that he loved us and sent his son to be a, a propitiation for our sins. That is a, a substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John is the apostle of love. He's, he's, that's basically his main topic throughout his writings in the New Testament. John is always trying to make the point that God loves you and he loves me. He also uses the word life throughout his gospel. It appears 41 times in the book. Life is all wrapped up in Jesus. Real life is in Jesus. John wants us to know from the very first verse of this story that Jesus is all about love and life. They come to him and ask him to save a life. John wants us to know that Jesus is all about love and life. First, or John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the, it's the introduction to the book. Just catch this. We got that one up there? There it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's who Jesus is. The word light appears 16 times in John. He builds his argument about who Jesus is around love, light, and light. So the next thing John wants us to see is, is that Godly love does not always do what we expect. Now, when I read this passage, <laughs> and Jesus says, well, he's only, he's only sick. I'm not going up there right now. That isn't the way I want Jesus to act when I ask him to do something. Oh, Beach, I got some other stuff to do. Do you mind? I'll be there in a couple of days. Ever had that happen in your prayer life? He stays put. He waits two days upon hearing about Lazarus' sickness and declares it's not unto death. Then he contradicts himself, it seems like. He's always dead. Does that sound like a loving friend to you? If someone was that very if someone that was very close to you suddenly got very sick and was expected to die. Wouldn't you drop everything you're doing and try to get to them? Jesus did not, <clears throat> and he loved Lazarus. Please get this. God does not always answer our cries as we want or expect. 
He had something else planned. Note what Jesus says. He says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Love for Lazarus made for the glory of Jesus. He states that this is the glory of God. When was the last time someone you loved got sick? Your child, your spouse, a close friend, and you sat back and said, this is for the glory of God. I have never said that. (laughs) Maybe you have. Jesus, who is supreme love, waited so that God might be glorified. I just, I don't want to leave this point behind. That's often what he's doing when he doesn't answer our prayers immediately. He is waiting to set up a situation where he might be glorified so that others might be attracted to him. The second subpoint under this is love made Jesus wait. Verses 5 to 7, it says that he waited, and even though he had this relationship, it's in verse 6 he says that when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. John states that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, but also that he waited two days. I believe that love for the Father made Jesus wait so they could bring him glory. Now, Catch this, please, don't miss this. The reason he may be waiting to answer some of your prayers is because he loves you. (laughs) And he knows better than you. And certainly better than me. Love first for the Father, love for his disciples, and love for Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Love wanted them all to understand something about himself, that is about Jesus. Love always motivates Jesus. Always. Love wants you and I to understand something about who this God-man is. Often he allows us to get to the point where nothing else can work unless he does something. He wants us to understand more of who he is through that. One of the things that sort of kept me up this last week is is a situation where I can't see God's hand right now in it. And I'm, I'm going, whoa, what am I going to do? I actually was sitting right there just a minute ago praying about it. I don't know if I can handle this one. <laughs> but he's right there with us. He loves us. And he'll walk with you through whatever he brings you into. He may not answer it the way you thought he should answer it but he is taking care of you, and you have to trust that. Love made Jesus fearless. In verse 8, he says, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Well, uh, duh, I'm not going down there and get myself stoned. That's what they were thinking. Love took the warning from his disciples But it did not let it deter him from his mission to go to the cross. My parents loved me. I've I've told you this story before. You may remember this one from a year and a half ago. (laughs) But my parents loved me and my family. When I told them that God had told us to come to Helena from Pembroke, Georgia, my dad said, you're going to hell in a... (laughs) 
You're going to take my grandchildren from me? And I had to say yes, because this is where God was directing us. Jesus told us that we're not to put any relationship in front of him. Father, mother, sister, brother, daughter, son. If you put these relationships in front of Jesus, he says you cannot be his disciple. Love made Jesus fearless in the, front, in the face of what he was about, to, was about to happen to him. He understood the cost, but he went anyway. This is an example of what we're called to do. We're to have fearless devotion to him above all else. The fourth thing to see from this point, if you would, love gear gives clear sight even in daylight. Most of us can see pretty good in daylight, right? <laughs> Look what it says. Are there not 12 hours, verse 9, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Jesus calls on common sense to answer their objection. But he also calls on them for spiritual insight. Did the disciples see what was going on clearly in this instance? Everybody do like this. Still awake, right? <laughs> I mean, they, didn't still, they still didn't get it. Were they seeing in the light of spiritual truth as to what Jesus was about to do or even could do? He'd already been talking to them about what was going to happen in Jerusalem. They still didn't see it. Jesus clarifies this in verse 11. Look what he says. He says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. He's going to wake up Lazarus. They're about to see his resurrection power on full display they still do not get it now let me ask you do you do you get it that Jesus can raise the dead even today I've met two people in my life that have prayed and seen, uh, seen, seen people raised from the dead one was a little girl that had been dead for 12 hours in Burma. Yeah. You can argue with me about that, but whew, I don't know how to explain that. Can he still save today? Can Jesus still do the unexpected today? Can he still bring life where there is death today? Can he change the mess that's going on in our nation today? <laughs> I believe he can. This is why I'm trusting him for a great revival across America and the world. I'm trusting him for a traffic jam on Sunday mornings. I've been telling you all about that. I want to see that happen. I want you to see this unique opportunity in the next part of the story and realize that Lazarus' life and death were Jesus' opportunity to do something wonderful. And he can still do it today for you and me and to you and me. Our lives are an opportunity for Christ to do something wonderful today through us. He's not finished with us yet. Thank you, Lord. The third 
thing to see from this passage is Lazarus' life was Jesus' opportunity, and yours too. Verses 12 and 13, the disciples says, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest or, of, or sleep. The disciples are still in the dark about what Jesus is about to do. These verses give me hope because I often, I hate to say, do not understand what Jesus is about to do. That's where that trust and faith come in. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he puts us in situations where we have the opportunity to trust him. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus answered, and then he, he just sort of lays it all out. He says, Lazarus is dead, and we got to go up and take care of him. And I'm glad for your sakes, because you're going to get to see what's about to happen. You're going to get to see who I really am. He's glad for their sakes so that he could teach them about who he really is and help them believe. John wants you and I to believe as well. I know I've given you a bunch of numbers today. But the word belief in John appears 81 times. The first century believers had the same issue with believing that you and I do. That's why John wrote his gospel. Do you think that he knew that his readers in the first century <clears throat> and you and me now are a lot like those early disciples who stood right in front of the Lord and still didn't really believe? We all struggle with belief. Think of this. These disciples had traveled with Jesus, the God-man, for two plus years to this point, and they still struggled with unbelief. Is there any chance you and I could be better off than these guys were? Has anyone here or anyone you know been to a funeral where the dead person was prayed for and got up out of their casket? I've done a lot of funerals. I tease and tell everybody I've done twice as many funerals as weddings. I have yet to have this happen. I'm waiting for it, but I haven't had it happen. Have you ever been to a graveyard where people got up out of their graves? Neither had they. These disciples didn't realize what was about to happen. They couldn't compute it. They'd seen a little girl raised up. But she'd not been dead for four days and was not in a grave. They still obviously struggled with unbelief. All of that, excuse me, all that we are shouts against resurrection. Because we have never experienced it. We've never seen it. Verses 16 through 19 give us an insight into <clears throat> Thomas. Can you see Thomas's level of belief with this statement? Let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> I mean, they've been through a pretty tough area, and Jesus had been persecuted somewhat in that. But did Thomas really believe that Jesus would be dying at the hand of Soldiers or a, an army or a group of people, a, a mob or a riot? 
I, I think Thomas had his, had his belief misplaced, if you would. Jesus, is Jesus subject to man's ability to kill him when they want? He was never subject to that. Remember, in his own hometown, they got ready to throw him off a cliff, and he just turned around and walked right through the crowd. They just, they'd try to take him in the temple several times. He'd just walk out or go into another part of the temple. Jesus did not die until he was ready. No man ever took Jesus' life. He willingly gave it up. Thomas still does not wholly believe. So as if to make even more of a point to his disciples, they show up four days later after Lazarus has been in the tomb. They now have the mourners there to help Mary and Martha through their mourning. I want you to understand something here that I believe. Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples and to you and me this last point. True living, listen to me, true living is determined by our belief. True living is determined by what we believe in this, the, the person of our belief. What do you really believe about Jesus? What really goes on in your heart of hearts about who Jesus is? In verse 20, Martha, it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, come on, Jesus, why didn't you come when we first asked you? If you'd just been here. My brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus says, her, yeah, your brother will rise again. And she goes, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection. That's what we say at funerals, isn't it? Boy, he was a good man. He loved Jesus. I know I won't see him again until when? Either heaven or the resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's where we've been heading with this, is I am sermons. But I want you to, I want you to catch something here. I've, I've pointed out before, but I want you to catch something. He doesn't say, I do resurrection. He says, I am resurrection. He doesn't say, I do life. He said, I am life. Please don't miss that. Jesus drops the belief bomb on her, as it were. He confronts her unbelief. And this is what he does to us as well. He declares who he is, not what he does. It's not, only, it's not only an event, but it is Jesus, the I am. He is declaring who he is. I've said that over and over again, but I don't know if I can say it enough. He's telling us who he is. All the I am statements are a declaration of who Jesus is. Not what he can do, although in each instance he can do something. Amazing. You see, Jesus is not just a good teacher. 
He's not just a miracle worker. He's he's not just a friend. He's not just our divine prayer-answering God. He is not just the Redeemer. He's all of this and more. He's the I Am. I am bread. The bread of life. You will not live a full and complete life unless you eat of the bread. You partake of Jesus himself. He said, I am the resurrection. He is resurrection. He said, I'm the gate or the door. He is the gate. He is the good shepherd. All of this and more are basically character descriptions of Jesus. The resurrection is not just an event, it's a person. Real life is not just living. We're all doing that. Real life is a person. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, if you want real life, you have to have Jesus. It's the person of Christ. He is life. We're dead in our sins because we do not have life in Jesus. Now, here's the crux of all this. Do you believe this? Do you really believe he is who he says he is? Verse 27, uh, Martha responds, he says, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. We're not going to go any further. We don't have time. But what happens next? (laughs) He goes over to the tomb. He says, hey, Lazarus, come on out of there. And out walks Lazarus because life spoke to it and it overcame death. He is the life. He's, he's all of this and so much more. Martha believed he was who he said he was and consequently he is the Christ, the promised one of God, the fulfillment of the ages the culmination of all the promises and prophecies and types of the Old Testament. Jesus is him. Forgive my English. Jesus is the great I am. This is why there is no other. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the gate. He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks, or maybe a little longer, because I'll be gone. He raised Lazarus. And he'll raise you and me on the last day. Between now and then, he'll take all who place their faith in him to the most magnificent place anyone could imagine, heaven. He alone can save. He alone has paid the price for our mistakes, misdoings, and sins. Thank you for calling it sin this morning. He alone can give eternal life. No one else can. No other belief system can give eternal life. There is no other Savior. No one else can give you heaven with Jesus. All other belief systems are imposters that will only lead you to eternal death. They deceive to take your life. My last verse, John 8, 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not Believe that I am He, you will 
die. Not life, die in your sins. Do you believe this this morning? Do you need to place your faith in Jesus this morning? If so, I'd love to visit with you after this service. Now, I, I can share with you how to easily place your faith in him and walk with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are Savior. You are resurrection. You are life. You are the gate. You are the good shepherd. You're the lover of our souls. You desire that we might spend eternity with you in real life. We think this world is life, and it is to a point, but Lord, real life will be when we'll be in your presence forever. Real life in this world is when we're filled with you. And so, God, if there's anybody in this place who doesn't know you, I pray that this morning they might pray a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you as my Savior. I can't do this thing alone. Come and take control of my life. I turn it all over to you. And I trust you to save me. God, I thank you that when people pray that prayer, that you come rushing into their hearts and lives and things change, directions change, life changes because suddenly they have real life. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that everybody who leaves this place might have real life. Bless them all. Bless this church. Continue to use them for your glory. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name.